Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Improv Chronicle podcast. I'm Lloydie. In my superhero film. It's Tuesday, 13th August, and I'm standing on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh, surrounded by hundreds of people handing out flyers for their shows at this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Every year, more and more improvisers are taking an artistic and financial gamble on the Fringe, but when there are so many people competing for attention, audience and ticket sales, how on earth do you survive as an improviser here? Some people are here this year for the first time, and some are regulars, but there's one improviser who's back after a considerable gap. Hi, my name is Liz Allen, and uh, I have been involved in improv since 1992. I started classes in Chicago. I had no idea it was going to change my life as much as it has. I was very lucky. My very first improv team, Frank Booth, that was the team in my heart. We were together for years. We came here in 95 to the Fringe and did a show called Harold on the Holyrood. And since then, I think, every year since then, there's been one group, if not many, from Chicago coming here to improvise. I have never come back since 95. So when I started directing this show now, A Family Affair, in Chicago, on a lark earlier this year, I said, boy, this show really would have international appeal because families are families. This show would do great at the Fringe, thinking, well, let's go in 2020, 2021. And George, a week later, says to me, George Stockerty, who's in the cast, says, I think I found a space. I think we can make this work this August. And I said, let's do it. I think that's great. You guys will be ready by the time we go there. And they sure are because they're a little bit of a younger cast, but they're amazing. It meant a lot to me to come back 24 years later because Edinburgh and that experience in 95 was one of the most memorable, amazing, wonderful, eye-opening theatrical experiences I'd ever had. It must have been one of the first, if not the first, certainly the first Chicago-style improv show here. We were told that. We were told um, that it was the first long-form improv to ever come here. So, you know, long-form improv is one piece of uh, cohesive theater, you know this, across 20, 40 minutes time, uh, as opposed to short-form, discrete uh, moments of improvisation. So we brought a long-form here. From what we understood, and we've been told that at the time and since, that we were the very first long-form improv ever at the Edinburgh Fringe. 
there's going to be a few, but what is the difference between bringing an improv show 24 years ago to the Edinburgh Fringe and now? Oh, yeah, there's a huge difference. The first difference that stands out is nobody even knew the word improv. We would say we do improvisation, and they would look at us like, what is that? Improv and improvisational theater is so much in the culture everywhere now that everyone knows about improv in far reaches of the world. My friend just got back from Croatia teaching improv, you know, in a small town in Croatia. And when I believe in 95, there wasn't even one improv theater in London, and now there's six alone in London, plus Brighton, Manchester, all over the place. I act like I know the geography. I don't. Uh, So the biggest difference is improv is so well-known now compared to 24 years ago. Liz Allen has a considerable pedigree in improv. She's a teacher at IO Theatre in Chicago. They even have an award named after her. She's taught John Lutz and directed one of his shows. She co-wrote the book Improvising Better with Jimmy Corain and coached the group The Commune that featured in the 2016 movie Don't Think Twice. The show Liz Allen brought to Edinburgh this year ran for the first portion of The Fringe and finished last weekend. It's called A Family Affair and features stories from a real-life mum, dad and daughter which are used to inspire scenes by a talented cast of improvisers. One of them is Cameron Mahai, who made the journey over to Edinburgh for the show. I have been totally in awe of, of being in this environment, seeing performances of all different, like, walks and, and, and styles. Like, it's it's been totally fantastic and, if anything, just given me more confidence in in in, in our show and 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 giving me like uh more given our show more heart like made, made me feel closer to it um because i know that like it's our thing and there's all there's like you said there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of shows and uh but ours is ours and it feels good and special was there any way of you visualizing what this festival is like before you came? No, absolutely not. No. Um, we really only got what Liz was telling us about it from 1995. She was like, this is what the Fringe was like, you know, this many years ago. And then maybe we, we knew one or two people who had come out of the Fringe. Like, I literally had never heard of it until Liz came out. <laughs> we knew... Uh, we knew, like, the, the... We started getting to know how many shows there were going to be, and then basically just like little snippets but really we had no idea so when we were like planning and being like okay we need to sell we need to hand out this many flyers or we need to our shows need to cost this much or we need to uh try to get an audience this we don't even know what the venue looks like we don't know how many venues there are we had absolutely no idea so truly like any planning we could do was only good up to a certain point because eventually we were just like we don't know if like anybody's gonna come we don't know if like we're gonna sell out we don't know if if this is going to kill we don't like we have no idea how this is going to uh, do on like an, an international level like is is our stuff like too niche like Chicago specifically Chicago improv is like very heady and, and people try to be very smart and referency and well maybe not referency but like but but very very smart and specific and I think that like I, I definitely was afraid that like I was like I was hoping that our emotions would come through and still play on an international stage and and I, I think it does and I, a lot of the other shows that I've seen here have have had the same kind of vibe like you it's not like you're coming here to do like Edinburgh style you know uh, theater or comedy like you're you're coming to bring your flavor into an international festival Edinburgh based improviser Mara Joy has been performing improv at the fringe for eight years and is in sellout show spontaneous Potter I asked her the secret of getting a decent audience I think there's a couple ways you can do it either you can be have been around for ages being really really good uh, like Showstopper and uh, Big What's Candy have been doing. Also, they're both musicals, which are very easy sells to uh, audiences who don't know improv because they go, oh, musicals, I like songs. And, like, and wait, you make them up? I guess that's something as well. 
uh, and then you've got like the other big ones like ostentations are obviously really big again part of that is just for just being good for a long time uh, but also mm, I hate to say having a gimmick helps but it does like I've often said this like if TJ and Dave were to come to the fringe and do a full run at the fringe they'd be in a mid-level venue you know what I mean like <laughs> and they're two of the best improvisers in the entire world that's a thing I think as well Americans coming over there's a great documentary on Netflix where Hannibal Buress comes and does a, a full run at the fringe and he's just so confused <laughs> by the whole thing he's like it's so weird you just do the same show for 24 days it's like yeah <laughs> like that's you just keep plugging away and it's like shows him flyering going this is so weird like I can sell out massive comedy clubs in New York but nobody here really knows who I am and I think improv is such a bubble in a lot of ways like there are people who are famous in the improv community who no I nobody knows who they are and then and I mean absolutely no disparagement to uh, uh, Paul Merton and his impro chums, but people know who they are, you know, like, they're going because Paul Merton is a fixture on television. Obviously there's some incredibly talented improvisers as well, like, like I'm not saying that, but it's much harder for improvisers to have had a television presence, I think. Amy Cook Hodgson is in Ostentatious, a show that gained popularity at the Fringe and several years later got a run in London's West End. But it didn't happen overnight. Um, well, the first time I performed in an improv show uh, was probably about 13 years ago um, when I came uh, with the Oxford Imps. So I did three years of uh, short form games with the Oxford Imps. And I was much older than everybody then, so I joined the Imps just before my 30th birthday and everyone else was you know, 18 or 19, so I was already ancient. Um, and now I'm even more ancient. Um, yeah, so that was a really good grounding actually because I wasn't responsible for any of the production and I could just get to see um, how an Edinburgh Fringe show works and really see how much work is required, um, down to like flyering schedules and how many people needed to be on which part of the mile and... Um, yeah, so knowing how you know, that getting out there and doing postering was really important, and where the good places for posters were, and where the good places to hand out flyers, etc. So um, I was lucky that I sort of had three years of observing before I brought something myself. And then oh, I can't figure out how long ago it was. Probably about eight years ago. Um, yeah, I came up with Ostentatious, obviously. We were a part of the free fringe at the Counting House. And that was a really good way of bringing up something because it was the free festival. It meant that you, the, the financial pressure wasn't as hard and you could sort of take a few risks and try something out that you weren't sure if it had uh, legs just yet. Um, and we were very fortunate, obviously, that year. Um, we had really great audiences and I think we sort of were at the beginning of the improv wave, so... Now there's an awful lot of improv at Edinburgh and I'm not saying that should stop you from developing ideas and bringing up shows to the fringe but it was a very different game eight years ago and um, which is actually a testament to how exciting the art form is because everybody's you know seeing different formats and trying to find new ways of uh, working with the art form and and Edinburgh is a really good showcase from across the whole UK of the ideas that people are, are working on. So how was it for Liz Allen coming back and selling a show after 24 years away? Well one one difference is uh, this cast here for a family affair in this year's French 
because we're relatively new and it's a, a new idea, we don't have a long run under our belt back home. We don't have any press. We just have a lot of uh, good numbers. We did we did well at Second City. We ran at Second City. So we have a lot of momentum, and I wanted to capture that coming here. But we don't have the standard um, product, you know, uh, nice little box of a product to sell. So that's been a little tricky. But I think it's been good for the cast to learn that whether you're already established or you're growing yourself here at the Fringe, if you just dive in, you flyer, you're confident when you talk about your show. We've done everything online. That's a huge difference that you can be online now that obviously you couldn't in 95. Um, it's still uh, difficult to bring in houses. It's more difficult without an experienced run under your belt. I feel like it's even more difficult today. But I love that this cast is learning so much. Like, we had 12 people, I think, in the audience tonight, and they gave it their all. They perf- And I've been trying to coach them, perform the same, whether it's in front of 12 or 2,000. You do what you do for your ensemble. And this has been a great um, solidification of that concept. When you bring your work to the Edinburgh Fringe, how much of the experience is refining your craft in front of an audience, and how much of it is a case of you showing off what you do to the wider world? Amy Cook-Hodgson. That is a really qu- big question. I don't think there's like a, a like it's a 50-50, uh, but I think there is there is definitely an element of putting your product in front of a wider audience because let's be honest, most of us are playing comedy clubs at home or we're playing small rooms that we have, you know, the usual packed out experience. I know, for example, in Oxford, we would sell out every Monday night and, you know, we were champions of a Monday night in Oxford and then we'd come up to the fringe and we'd realise actually that sort of very niche Oxford gag, it doesn't necessarily transfer to the wider audience when you, when we got here. So um, I think there is definitely uh, something to in, in terms of refining your skill set when you get here. But also it is an amazing platform to be able to say, hey, we've worked as a team and this is what we've created and we'd like to share that with the rest of the community and, and a wider audience. So I think it definitely has both benefits. Mara Joy believes there's been a huge personal benefit from the daily performance routine of doing the Fringe. Doing the Edinburgh Fringe has infinitely made me a better improviser. Performing uh, to one person and a dog, then performing to 50 people, then performing to 200 people, then performing different shows, performing terrible shows, performing great shows, performing with people that you know well, performing with people you've never met before. It's so intensive in such a draining way <laughs> but such a but the end result is always positive I've never come out of a fringe and felt like I'm a worse improviser uh, I've definitely come out of shows thinking oh I've I, I've lost the ability to improvise I've done four shows today they've all been terrible clearly I am terrible and then you have to go on the next day and do four more yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly but <laughs> but I think yeah it's such a huge like, it's a turbo... It's, the Fringe... Trying to explain the Fringe to someone who hasn't done the Fringe is impossible. Because they don't quite understand what it is. Everyone wants a huge audience and to sell out their venue, but an average audience for a show that doesn't have a big name involved is around 20 people. The success of Ostentatious, the improvised Jane Austen show, is one that improvisers point to as a great example of Fringe success. What's that sort of success like? Amy Cook-Hodgson. Well, it's very exciting to feel like you are in a a product or in a show that people really are keen to see. Um, And I just, I, you know, there was no 
science behind ostentatious becoming what it is. It really has just been luck and hard work. And it's, it's very heartwarming to know that you're in a show that, you know, is filling a very large venue. Um, but it's still, it's not like we're complacent. We're still very aware that, you know, it is an improv show, so literally anything can happen, even if you do know everyone very well and even if you do know the genre really well. So, you know, there is that sense of we need to keep on our toes. We need to be on the front foot. We, we need to be able to analyse what went wrong in a show and what we can try and do better next time. So... Yeah, we certainly are not sitting on our laurels, let's put it that way. On our sell-out laurels. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely put in there. Nicely incorporated. Oh, what a dick, yeah. <laughs> Liz Allen's show, A Family Affair, has now finished its run. It was her first time back at the Fringe in 24 years. So would she bring back another show next year? I want to come, I, I come back with 10 shows next year. That's not going to happen. But I really want to. Next time on the Improv Chronicle podcast. With a growing number of successful theatres around the world with PR and reputation behind them, how do you run a successful independent night and make it work? The Improv Chronicle podcast is presented and produced by me, Lloydie James Lloyd. Thanks this episode to Amy Cook-Hodgson from Ostentatious, Mara Joy from Spontaneous Potter, and Liz Allen and Cameron Mahai from A Family Affair. For the latest improv news or to submit news from your improv theatre team or community, go to improvchronicle.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.